welcome to episode 15 of the Nerdcast. Uh, I hope you're having a great weekend. Uh, joining me today is a really good friend of mine, uh, the drummer of Earthworm Von Doom and several other projects, including the Lincoln Park experience, I believe. Uh, a good friend of mine, Trip. how are you, sir? I am doing all right. Yeah. I'm Thank you so right. much for joining us. Uh, just full... Uh, you know, full transparency here, me and Tripp are both huge Linkin Park fans, and it's, uh, I believe it said the 18th or 19th anniversary of Meteora was Friday? Oh, yeah, yeah, 2021 made it uh, 18, yeah. 18 years old, so that came out in 2003 then, right? Mm-hmm. Dude, I was in middle school when this album, when Meteora dropped, and yeah, I mean, we'll get into it hardcore today, but my goodness, what a great album. Um so yeah, we decided to, uh, you know, we're the Nerdcast and we can nerd out about a lot of stuff. And one of those things that we love and that, especially in our area trip, that brings us together is like music, especially. And we love talking about music and what inspires us. And um, yeah, so Lincoln Park, here we go, man. Um, okay. I, you know, I guess a, a good place to start is like, where does Lincoln Park, like how far back does it go for you, man? Like, when did you get introduced to this band? Um, my, so I really, it was so inescapable in the early 2000s. It really, truly was honestly one of the most inescapable musical phenomenons. I mean, there were other musical phenomenons going on at that time, but you know, my awareness of what was going on was little because I am younger than you. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm 27. So I, I turned 28 in November. And, you know, just for some perspective, um, I was aware of Britney Spears. I was aware of the Backstreet Boys and Sync, everyone that was huge. I was aware of Limp Biscuit, but I was not old enough. <laughs> I was not privy to any of the lyrical content. For example, <laughs> I, I, I had to ask my mom what Nookie was. So, <laughs> so <laughs> there's what does he do in this for? <laughs> where, where does he want to? her to put the cookie like yeah, you can't it, it, you couldn't i couldn't get it and you know i it was over my head like you know corn i wasn't even aware of corn yet or whatever so um early 2000s uh i would hear snippets of in the end um i had friends that talked up talked about the the shut up song and then, truthfully, I think hearing Somewhere I Belong on the radio um, really drew me in. There was just Meteora awareness and, you know, hype at that moment. Mm-hmm. I think the Faint video had just come out. And there was still just a lot of mystique about Lincoln Park to me, like with the internet not being mm-hmm. what it is right now like 2003 dial-up internet, I was really just kind of getting piece by piece by piece of, you know, for example, I didn't know whether or not Chester wore glasses or not because like Mm. on all the music videos during Meteora, Chester was wearing glasses. And then like, you know, you go back to like the one step closer video, Chester's not wearing glasses. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, there was a cool mystique but it wasn't and keep in mind i wasn't to this level yet i didn't discover slipknot yet so it wasn't that Mm -hmm. it wasn't that kind of mystique where you really don't know but well you're only like to be fair you're only like seven eight or nine around this point i mean if you're 20 about to be 28 so yeah you were seven when you when hybrid theory dropped and probably 10 when this dropped right give or take so you know it's yeah Slipknot and Corn and a lot of these bands you named, like while they were hugely popular at the time, were still like a couple of years away for I think both of us because I didn't like get hard into those bands until like high school, and by then they were on kind of the tail end of their like prime, if I would say. You want to hear something funnier? Um, you might be able, you might be able to re- relate to this. Um, around this time, Weird Al put an album out, and he, he had those polka tracks. Yeah, like mm-hmm. he did one about new metal, like. He had put like Papa Roach and Disturbed and Stained in this polka track. And I, I 
straight up had not heard like disturbed before that. So mm-hmm. my awareness of disturbed and Papa Roach was from the Weird Al <laughs> Polka medley in 2003. Mm. <laughs> and so like there was that I I'm appreciative that at that moment, like I could kind of see the difference in quality between disturbed and what I would find out with Lincoln Park. Mm-hmm. And that's well, not taking anything from disturbed, but you, you know what I mean? Well, definitely. And then what's interesting about Lincoln Park is they hit so many different kinds of genres because they weren't strictly new metal. They weren't strictly alt hard rock. But then they incorporate rap into it as well and like DJ electronic type music as well. And so what you have in totality, this is very broadly speaking now, but like you have like these first couple albums, which were speaking to like this very angsty, like kind of tweener crowd that we were all a part of. Um, And even like, I, I don't know, I guess the point I'm trying to make is like we really grew up with this music for like years and years like i can just remember endless hours of playing smash brothers on n64 with the hybrid theory just on repeat like album finishes boom like right back into paper cut like over and over and over i listened to faint when faint came out on meteora i listened to that individual song on repeat like 20 times in a row at one point because it was so amazing and like some of my other influences at the time were like green day like i was big into green day and like Puddle of Mud and P.O.D. Like there was a couple of these bands that I saw or heard on the internet or on the radio because radio was huge back then. Like we weren't into, like we had CDs obviously, but like I grew up with like V8 or uh, not obviously VHS, but what like just tapes, like legit tapes. You were like pimping, big pimping if you had the cassette cable that comes out to a CD yeah. player. <laughs> You'd run through you know, battery after battery, but like that was how we listen to music so the radio kind of gave us some of this more mainstreamy kind of stuff and lincoln park just kind of hit me at a moment where it was like i was in sixth grade i was already kind of in that like trying to be more adult kind of thing and like more responsibilities in my life and here comes lincoln park and it was just kind of like my anthem for years and years (laughs) like at least through middle school somewhere i belong is probably one of my top three or five songs of all time that I will ever listen to. And like, anytime it comes on, I'm like, yep. yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, this is specific to, you know, where we are, you know, uh, one thing that, you know, really supports the dominance of radio in the early 2000s was where we were. And again, this is going to really date us up till WHFS, just yep. died <laughs> we honestly had 101 98 rock and w 991 all kind yes. of equal equal rock alternative stations like and you know, like real rock stations not like and I, i'm not trying to take away anything from anybody if you like that type of music but like this modern like very like i don't know how to even describe it. it's very pop rock in some ways it's it's but not like punk pop or pop punk or whatever it's dc one yeah dc one of one's format has for sure changed like mumford and sons and imagine dragons and all these like really like mainstreamy but like really soft rock type bands and that's great it's nice to have those occasionally but we had everything like 99.1 especially i remember anytime you turned them on they were playing like unfiltered green day they were playing you know, all the, the classic mm-hmm. rock bands and, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I heard like Megadeth and like Deep Cut Metallica on there and like, like they were playing like really, really good, but eclectic music. And nowadays it just, you might be lucky to get like an Offspring song occasionally. Like it's just a lot of, and maybe that dates me. Maybe that's just me being an old fart about it, but I just felt like the kind of music we got in the, late 90s early 2000s especially when radio was huge and we had hfs and all that stuff it was just oh man we're just spoiled yeah i mean i'm glad that you know i got into it kind of at the end of that because i remember like 101 had you know i'm not trying to get into logistics because i don't want to speak out of touch but like 101 had the budget for like concerts like for joey cook-offs and all Mm -hmm. all these kinds of shows and of course so did whfs like h festival yep yeah 
so like when i think it was really kind of like such a good springboard for you know the like mainstream rock scene and sort of the subsets of that at that time because like chili cook-offs were having everything from like you know in like 98 99 having like blink or whoever play those shows it's like jay-z was at an hf festival and like some of yeah, these like, like hardcore would play, yeah yeah like they had like not <laughs> not just they had some people that you had never heard of like i never heard of like interpol at the time but like certain bands that i got really into later but then they had like billy idol and foo fighters and Coldplay and like these like massive headliners i know uh back in the day they had like uh, i think was it the offspring and stained and like just a, a whole bunch of like mega bands at the time who would like are of course coming off of like Woodstock 99 and stuff like that. So they played like some of these, the biggest shows ever. Yeah. I think um, the last like breakout band to play like a WHF festival, I think honestly it was Avenged Sevenfold. Like yeah, I kind so of that, heard so of that, them more through the warp tours like thing, but yeah, so they did play it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to say the one I went to was 2005 and that was just like, that was my first mega, like I've been to a concert experience. Like I'd been to a couple like random ones that I can't remember who they were for and stuff. But like, that was the first time it's like freshman year of high school. I'm going to this show. I actually worked that show um, like in the vendor section, but it, um, yeah. Oh my God. What a great time. Like, Hell but, yeah. but anyways, that's just painting the landscape for like where Lincoln park kind of came into I assume both of our lives is like this early two thousands radio still big. Uh, this band kind of checked a lot of boxes. Cause I was big into like rap and hip hop of the early, like late nineties, early two thousands, which is like really, really gangster shit. <laughs> and um, yeah, like the fact that they incorporated rhythmic vocals, like rapping and th- stuff like that. Like I was just, it, it checks so many boxes. It has the hard, like the heaviness that I love in metal uh, has clean vocals and harsh vocals, oddly enough done by the same guy who, you know, Chester's no longer with us RIP, but you know, this dude is probably one of the greatest vocalists of all time, certainly in the rock genre, like, (laughs) and you know, Mike Shinoda as a kind of a producing genius and all this kind of stuff. And just all those guys are just so talented, but, um, uh let's let's talk about like what are some of your because we're talking about the you know meteora's anniversary and stuff but like what are some of your favorite albums and songs that they've put out okay so you know because meteora was my entry point i you know i always put that at number one but it kind of got harder to call something number one when i found equal reasons across all seven Mm. and when you know they started like when minutes of midnight was coming together and when a thousand suns was coming together you know i think those two albums for sure were real real tests for us real kind of just you know you have to chew this one hard a thousand suns especially yeah so like I think so the year Minutes of Midnight came out was the year I started drum lessons. Oh yeah. No shit. <laughs> like I, it was, I, yeah. Was like I got my first kit April of 07 and Minutes of Midnight came out in May and I have a soft spot for being able to hear Rob Borden's drums clear on a record. Like, mm-hmm. you know, before that, it was in the mix as much as the beats that were being programmed. And I've, and I'll get to it later when we talk about the tribute band, you know, when it came to learning the really electronic songs, like it was a total uh, just test of discipline to pick out what Rob is playing on a one more light song or whatever. Um, But yeah, songs like The Little Things Give You Away, I, I really feel like is a just super advanced song for the for the DJ band, for, for Linkin Park. I, I think that song is really kind of just, you know, 
it, it was definitely written for the time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But well, what's interesting I, about you, I, and you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong. His name is Rob Borden, right? Yeah. The, yeah. He, I saw a documentary when they were making Meteora and like he, he made a specific point to like go into the studio, knowing his parts, like, like just complete muscle memory by that point. I remember hearing, I forget if it was Rick Rubin or somebody was producing them at the time. And it was like, he was like, yeah, he, he's knocking it out of the park. He's making virtually no mistakes and just, it just kind of shows like how much dedication and stuff these guys had to their craft and like the actual music. Like, I don't remember anything besides Chester's passing that it was even like the slightest bit controversial about how these guys went about their business. Yeah. No, like truthfully, like their discipline was like right there from the beginning. There's uh there's this good book that came out, you know, as, as they were doing all this hybrid theory anniversary stuff last year. Um, their old A&R guy put out a book, like the guy who signed them when they were teenagers, um, put out a book about what it was like to make Lincoln Park a band fit for the label and what it was like for Hybrid Theory to get made. And he pretty much said that Brad and Mike's, you know, drive and hustle was there when they were even in in high school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's just, it's just wild that like one of the hardest things for, I think musicians, including myself, I'm sure you've ran into it as well, but it's like when you're writing music and somebody you trust, whether it's a producer or your bandmate or somebody comes along and says like, I just don't really like like that verse or that this, or what this anything. And what stands out to me in some of the documentary stuff I've seen of them is like, they, got upset and frustrated but they then went and actually redid what wasn't strong enough and their music became all the stronger for it and it's like bands like queen even that when you watch bohemian rhapsody and freddie mercury at one point is like you know i'm not going to be upset about you like you know forcing us to rewrite constantly to brian may and stuff like that it's like that's that's why some bands are you know go from just bands to like legendary musicians and stuff it's like when you can take criticism and properly channel it into good rewrites and like you know they weren't writing for the fans and everything but like trying to like really take a close look at sort of universal themes because i know we're all over the place in this episode so i apologize to the audience but i'm just kind of meandering in my love and thoughts of this band but um you know, like their themes in their music are so universal that I think you can play almost any song they ever played. And so pretty much everybody can relate to it. Like there's obviously ones that really like, you know, stand out for me, like numb and breaking the habit and certain ones like that. And like breaking the habit wasn't my favorite song, but the themes and the lyrics and the everything they're touching on in some of these, it's, it's very like Nirvana. What Nirvana was for a lot of like kids in the early nineties is what like this was for, for us, I think. Yeah, I've I've picked up on that for sure. Like, you know, just, I mean, truthfully, in conversations I've had, I'm very fortunate to have kept contact with like diehard fans. Like, I joined, I joined the fan club after I got into the band. It was it was in that time between Meteora. It's still the LP Underground. Hmm. This was uh, during 4.0. So this is between <laughs> Meteora and Minnesota Midnight coming out. Like it's literally the most like dry time of their history before 2017. Uh, and um, I've, you know, through then, like I was able to make friends either like some local ones. Well, we, I say local and, you know, it would just mean the people that would come to the DC show. So, I mean, like, the first true friend I made on LPU, like, he's he's from Virginia. Like, you know, it's oh, just literally just, like, you know, if we're only an hour and change away from each other, but, you know, that was a connection. And then, because they started going to shows, like, I would meet up with people based on, oh, hey, you're so-and-so username. Oh, yeah, you're so-and-so. Oh, I came all the way out from New Jersey. Oh, I came all the way out from Georgia. Oh, I came all the way out from Germany. Like it just, it just wow. was really such 
it got way it got more and more normal like as they would honestly as they would tour less frequently like minutes to midnight was the last time they did four u.s legs for a tour because mm-hmm. then for a thousand suns they did two u.s legs living mm-hmm. things they did like one and a half and so on and so forth because they would just churn records out after a thousand suns well i saw them at project revolution in 2008 it was i, I remember specifically because i went to a ton of like amazing concerts that summer but it was the year i graduated high school is the summer right after before college started up and like me and a couple of my buddies and you know we all went and uh oh my god it project revolution is by far like i i have a couple that might rival it in terms of like fun or intensity or this or that but really project revolution in 2008 was probably the best all-around concert experience i've ever had and obviously headlined by lincoln park but you had chris cornell did his solo project and chester came out and they sung together and that was effing amazing and then you had like Atreyu right after the lead sales paper anchor. They were on the side stage with 10 years. So that was dope. You had, um, yeah, I mean, just tons of really, really good music. And of course, then you get like a two and a half hour performance from Linkin Park. And they go through, they had just released Minutes to Midnight at that point. They go through almost every song on the first three albums. And it's it just blew my mind like how good it was because they're not like those slouchy type of artists where the art or the album sounds one way and then you go see them live and it's like off key and people are don't sound good or whatever no they like they brought it hard they opened with no more sorrow it was just they had one point brought like 40 drummers out on stage and had like this drum core thing going it was man really really good uh like they knocked the project revolution concept just out of the park. And it, as a fan, I speak for all the diehard fans that wish that that stuck around. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I do get why, you know, keeping a touring festival up year after year after year kind of, you know, weakens the foundation and something will give everything from Ozfest to warp tour to, Mayhem, Mayhem Fest yep. and all sounds of the underground and Carnival of Madness. It, if you didn't say and that, even, and even and Lollapalooza and like every package tour would what before the, COVID. What was the one back out. in the day that was for like hardcore and death metal or whatever? There was there was a sounds, sounds of, of the, the underground? underground. Yes, yes. Or even yeah, like the only one that I can think of that the ones that stuck around year after year after year before COVID honestly was like summer slaughter but like on that level you're in a club yeah and i think project they, revolution they packed that with like 40 acts sometimes yeah and like I, I, best is like an event type thing two or three days of you know just craziness you're like they could have kept pr it, and it's funny to say that because obviously pr means other things but they could have kept project revolution project revolution going I think for every album, if they toured harder for every album, because I think it just, they would have been able to keep the interest going for the record and they would have been able to keep the interest going for, Oh, who's going to play this year? You know, like they even were doing it in Europe. Like Mm -hmm. the, the year that you saw them, like they did a project revolution leg in Europe, like months before with like, jay-z and like pharrell opening like well that's that's a good segue to what i was gonna bring up next is just kind of their discography in general and like so the first three albums in my opinion it's probably because i saw them right on the minutes to midnight circuit but those three albums to me are like pretty much the holy trinity of lincoln park and like so good i don't really think of any song off there any of those three albums that i'm just like nope i can't do it um thousand sons Probably not for me as much. Same with a lot of their other stuff after Minutes to Midnight. But there's a ton of stuff and little songs sprinkled throughout that I just adore. And I'm just going to shout a couple out right now. And it's like the uh, one of my favorite songs of theirs is a new divide or yeah, new divide off of the Transformers 2 soundtrack, which was amazing. Um, their Collision Course 
comp with Jay-Z is incredible. I could still listen to that constantly. Um, there's a couple, oh gosh, what is the one? Um, Living Things? It's off of Living Things, I think. It's Burn not, It Down? It's not Burn It Down. I do like that song, but it's the- uh, Lost, Lost in the Echo? Lost in the Echo. Oh yep. man, that's some of the best Mike Shinoda I think we've ever gotten in that song. Um, and then like War and uh, Guilty All the Same and stuff like that that came off of like some of the newer albums. Like those are really dope. And part of my problem is I just haven't really sat down and listened to a lot of those new, new ones um, like in their entirety and given them the fair space to breathe. And part of it's nostalgia, I think. I mean, you go back this far, it's like that seven albums is a lot and you're going to get stuff you like and that you might not like quite as much. But what say you about like all these different things they've done? Even Oh, last one I want to mention, uh, the Busta Rhymes Linkin Park thing that uh, <laughs> we made it. <laughs> that was on Madden 09, I remember. But, yeah, that, that was a fun collab too, just because, you know, yeah, they did Jay before that. They did Reanimation before the Busta song. And they hadn't done like a collaborative song from scratch properly before that. So that was cool in concept. And I wish it had more legs. And I think this is going to kind of get into why I gave, why I've given every album its due. Sadly, the only one I didn't, that didn't, that got, I'll get into it. Why? Um, (laughs) Well, so uh, when Midnight was coming out, I already had tickets to the shows I was going to see that summer. Mm-hmm. So like I was already in, I was, I had a fan club membership. You know what I mean? It, yeah. I, I was in like, I, Linkin Park was my favorite band. I waited three years for a new album. I'm learning the drums and I'm starting to diversify my musical palette. So when they put out something radically different from the album that was in my Walkman and I was in fifth and sixth grade, like that was that I was cool with this change. And then a thousand sons is coming out again. I already have like tickets to the release show. And they did a release show in New York city. Uh, Cause it was like the only U S show of 2010. Yeah. And they, uh, you know, between like fan club hype and stuff, I was already in and, a Thousand Suns came out when I discovered metal. Like I already was into metal mm-hmm. when A Thousand Suns came out. So I was not a popular metal guy. Well, who is a popular metal guy? But right, I, mean, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I was already like weird for liking metal. And then I was weird to metal people for liking the album with <laughs> like the, the electronic yeah. album. Mm-hmm. And then Living Things comes out again under the same hot hype of they're about to go on tour and it's well hunting party just was fucking aggressive right off the bat mm-hmm. but that's kind of I, where i come back into them a little bit like i i tended to lean out when they got into a thousand suns and living things kind of got me a little bit but yeah it was when like hunting party came back and i was like okay yeah this is uh this is what i remember and loved so much is like they were hitting that mark better and that's you know it's tough to really when it comes to music especially like if they wanted to go that way and they were happy with it then by all means go that way be happy with it i'm happy for you it just it didn't resonate with me as much but, the shaky song yeah the songs that yeah. the songs that i had the like that i had to be sold on i had to be sold on live mm-hmm. like i think that's truly what kind of won me over when you know something like lost in the echo you kind of know right away if you like it or not something yeah. like waiting, waiting for the end you kind of know right away but like the, the deep songs the robot boy or until it breaks or you know roads untraveled or in those pieces songs, that was yeah. for me in pieces when he uh i think his name is josh the guitar player brad brad when he does the the solo in that song live it's it's amazing <laughs> yeah so like i think even and this is weird to say because the song's phenomenal, but when they come for me was a, a sell. Like mm-hmm. I had to see them play it, see them play it with like 
they totally pulled a slit knot with it. They had extra drums up front. Like Brad and Chester would play extra drums to when they come for me live. And yeah. that was just like, even the catalyst, the catalyst was a single, like everyone knew it. But when I was like getting, you know, receiving those songs live, it, you know, it was like, okay, yeah, this is why I love this band. This is why I love this new direction because they put together something that sounds like just insane and then they don't bs it yeah they uh gosh yeah they're, they're just such a great band um so i i talked about a little bit like what shows i had been to i know you've been to like a ton of their shows before their untimely you know breakup and everything what um tell us about some of your experiences going to shows seeing lincoln park and stuff like that um, so I, I think because Minutes to Midnight was so really reliable for predicting their tour schedule, mm-hmm. um, it got even at age 13, 14. I, <laughs> I mean, look, living in <laughs> this area, like mm-hmm. it, they're not going to, no matter what, they're going to not skip the DC area, even if they right. play one show. So, you know, for Minutes to Midnight, I got to catch them uh, for my first ever show uh, at the Bamboozle Festival in New Jersey. Wow. And it, th- gosh, that that GA ticket, 35 bucks. Wow. Three, five. <laughs> Fucking excellent. That's, you that's a talk- steal by today's standards. <laughs> the only other like really dope show that I went to that cheap was Slipknot two years later. Mm. So my parents, I hate when my parents pull out their old tickets of shows they've been to. And they're like, I saw Eddie Van Halen for five bucks. It's like, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. Like Iron Maiden (laughs) tickets for seven bucks. Like it's insane. It breaks (laughs) my heart. Like damn inflation. (laughs) Yeah. I saw them. I saw Lincoln Park eight times before Chester died. I went to the Memorial show. So that, puts it at nine and then i missed so fort minor mike literally was doing that the year before minutes to midnight came out so i had in my mind that my first concert was going to be lincoln park so i don't regret missing fort minor but i do because you know it would have been a fun just yeah side thing that's how i feel about the collision course album is i would have loved to be of the age and in i think they only did it in like new york but they did a live performance of it and i was like oh man what it would have been like to be yeah. in that because that was like legit like it was some hybrid theory but it's also a lot of meteora mixed with jay i'm so good so good guys yeah, I, I saw i did get to see i saw mike twice though mm. yeah when he was doing a solo tour and i saw chester with dead by sunrise once mm. and you know I really also with, wanted to see Chester with uh, when he did his run with Stone Temple Pilots. I thought that would have been super good. Yeah, that that just always missed me. Like you know, and I got into SDP like their back catalog. Mm-hmm. Sadly, after Scott died, it it was yep. it was really weird. But you know, they came from a very very hard era of grunge, and I mean, I consider SDP like really like pure grunge early 90s seattle kind of did they come from seattle i can't remember if they were part of that california i think i think you're right i think it was like either bay area or i could be wrong no i think i think they're from like malibu or something really Hmm. Uh, well well the brothers the brothers are from new jersey and they moved to california Hmm. but yeah i think they're from like long beach or like like fun california or san diego I'm very happy. I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of great artists before their untimely passing, and I'm like, it's hard to be. I don't know. It's it's hard to fathom that like you have to kind of make yourself go to certain shows that you're like, oh, they'll come around again. It's like, mm, not always. You know, I I think of Chester. I see. I saw him once. I saw the Rev with Avenged Sevenfold once. Um, you know, Paul from Slipknot. I saw him at the first Mayhem Fest, and then he died shortly thereafter and it's just it, it's just crazy man like 
it's it's sad to know that. And like Chris Cornell, like I saw Chester and Chris Cornell were like best buds of all time at the same show, singing together, singing, I think it was Like a Stone or one of those Audio Slave covers. Hunger Strike. Was it Hunger? Oh, it was Hunger Strike. That's Hunger Strike, oh. yeah. And Chris came out during calling. I'm going hungry. Because, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I caught that, and my my mom's side of the family lives in Chicago, so I caught PR08 in uh, Wisconsin. Dude, I had a guy who sang in my high school who would just sit behind me, and I think it was health class, and just go, I don't mind stealing bread, like, all the time. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then I heard that song. I was like, oh, this song is awesome. <laughs> like, it's so it, catchy. You should have followed it up by, like, taking your bread. Like, if he was like... I'm the, going hungry. Like, the guys <laughs> like the guys behind Napoleon Dynamite that are, like, bullying him for the tater tots, you, yeah. you should be like, yo, hey, <laughs> this is my I, 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 I told you I was going to take your bread. Oh, I oh. thought you were just... Dude, one Chris that's, that's the song that I would love to do the pull the John Mulaney and go into a bar and just put it on the jukebox like 20 times in a row and then put like Rhyme of the Ancient oh. Mariner and then go back to Hunger Strike for another time. I, I love putting on just meme songs on the jukebox, as you could probably guess. But like, I, there was, I'm gonna quickly jump into Earthworm World for a second. There were the second to last night of our tour with Exemptus, like you know, the this last is a show Canadian with, tour, right? Uh, Canada and the US, yeah. So yeah. like when we the last show was gonna be in the last show was in Towson, but the show before that was in PA. And you know, they were driving back to Maryland that night. We stayed at a friend's house in PA. So end of the show, we're just, you know hanging out, drinking and stuff. And, you know, there's a digital jukebox there, but we played a metal show, so I'm not putting on metal. Like, some of the Exemptus guys were putting on metal. I walk over, I'm putting on Drake and Drake Bell, I Found a Way. I put on Despacito and All Star and just all these just, like, it's, you know, like, throw, throw the vibe off songs, because... Well, what's funny is, like, people might think of metal people as, like, a certain way, but I can attest from, like, all the... Everything from big shows to very tiny, like, hole-in-the-wall local shows, metalheads are all, like, have a hilarious sense of humor. And so, like, if you put Despacito on in a room full of metalheads, chances are they're going to sing it out of key and try and, like, dance to it and stuff like that. Oh, well, especially when you're in a room with exempt us when you have yeah, bunch rick, of balls. <laughs> when you have rick and jake right in front of you like you're <laughs> just gonna go into meme world oh yeah good times good times but um yeah so tell us a little bit about you're in a, a cover band right is that still that is still going correct so there is a it's it i hate to like spill public beans because <laughs> we just have uh just not been mm-hmm. personally Regardless of COVID, we haven't been personally active since, uh, and there's a bigger story with us and our Genesis, but uh, our Mike Shinoda, Sanjay, Sanjay moved out of Maryland a few years ago. So when Sanjay was moving, we put together the last two shows that we did, and then we've you know we keep we keep the group chat going to this day and we talk lp like that's just what we do i mean we we talk we just catch up about our lives and stuff too but you know at the end of the day it's been it started literally the week after chester passed away we, we started um as like a means to put on uh, a vigil like we put together yeah, kind a of vid- a coping mechanism right yeah we, we, a little well, bit well what we did was we put on a vigil at uh jiffy lube live like the day lp was about lp and machine gun kelly were going to be at jiffy lube live for the one more light tour and then uh we scheduled the vigil for the day that would have been i i honestly keep in mind i i only knew sanjay a little bit from LPU and I did not know Josh who is our Brad. Uh, I, I literally was meeting Josh then and we brainstormed 
where to do the vigil. I said Jiffy Lube Live just on a whim. I was like, that technically is the venue they've played at in the DC area the most. Mm-hmm. And then Sanjay called them. They said, yeah, we can let you guys, you know, congregate in front of doors and just play acoustically and kind of just, you know, talk and do a candlelight vigil. And we did that. And it just was just this wild improvisational experience where the guy brought a cajon, Sanjay and Josh each had acoustic guitars and, you know, people, there were Chester pictures and candles and it was just super somber and sad. And yet playing Lincoln Park songs where we barely had to sing shit. Like everyone was singing and like he, it just was really this. All their songs are just so instantly like I I could not listen for Lincoln Park for like years and years. And as soon as you put like in the end or any of these on, I sing everybody's part. Like I have like the first three albums, all the lyrics are permanently etched into my brain. Yeah. Like somewhere I belong and from the inside at that show, I remember like, oh man, I'm so glad you brought up from the inside that song. Oh man. People just, yeah. People just took it away. Like we just, and it was really powerful enough for us to want to pursue the tribute band. And we did to the extent that we put together a show on the anniversary of when Chester died and raised money for uh, the suicide prevention uh, group that his widow started. And, you know, it, it really brought it full circle. But, you know, it really, it got, it accomplished what we wanted to, it to do. And I've seen with, you know, there have been, and this is what I'm going to kind of get at. There have been LP tribute bands that have started since us that have used the words Lincoln Park experience in their name. And it's just not a fight that we need to fight to be the biggest fish in the it like well it defeats like, the purpose some, of what your goal yeah. is you know it just gets into the muck and mire of the music industry that that defeats the purpose yeah like there's like you know i hate to bring this band up because it's you know just another example but like sublime you know bad fish mm-hmm. their tribute band is yeah. like it's it's is makes as much and is as, as popular as like any like club level drawing 500 people band drawing more than that like i some people, people even argue love but, the music and i think if you play it well enough it is a good substitute i mean people will yeah. go to just like hole in the wall like i think of like union jacks and places like that where it's like cover bands play there all the time and people pack in there because they love the music and it's they can sing to it and dance to it. They, they're familiar with it and yeah, and I think other than, you know, coping and starting friendships, it, we're forging friendships. Mm-hmm. Like, truthfully, what our goal was and is, it was to articulate what diehard fans would want out of Lincoln Park. And that's why we arranged set lists to be like the shows. Like, they would have, like, 2007 intros to one step closer or something and we would work that in, but then they would have a special intro for faint. So we'd learn that or Mike would wrap some extra stuff at the beginning of points of authority. So Sanjay would learn, you know, blah, 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 Fort minor song to rap over it. And truly like, I mean, the whole, the fact that we made, I mean, this is, you know, a personal relation, obviously my, my band's, is myself and my bass player. So when it came to emulating Lincoln Park and keeping five, six people on the same page, it's not an easy thing to do. But the true, like it was a real diamond. First off, it was a real diamond that, uh, so Josh is a music teacher. Uh, Josh taught uh, our DJs kids, like our DJ, has kids and they took like piano lessons from josh and uh we Varak is a traditional G- dj like you know he's not like you know skrillex or whatever like he would spin 
kind of traditionally and it just wedged in. And then truthfully, we found Arnold, you know, through him, he, he and a friend had like a covers group, I think. And we knew he was a Lincoln Park fan and we knew he had the enthusiasm. And when he came by to jam with us for the first time, and this is something that Sanjay, Josh and I were, would do is that we just would jump into deep songs, even if we didn't know if we knew how to play Wastelands or something. And so Arnold, Arnold could do that. Arnold, you know, just would off the offhand would jump into when they come for me or something like literally on the first day. So it really was just this, and it helps that Arnold as a fan not because he joined up with us, but as a fan, he did get the Chester Flames. Oh, and, wow. And, you know, it just really was, it's just was like a gang of misfits. Like it really is how we functioned was the fact that, you know, we all had like this mutual deep love. And yet on the same token, like we're not from the tribute band. I mean, of course I'm not we're not from the tribute band circuit like yeah like our because there are people that you know start tribute bands join tribute bands because they know how to emulate other artists and truthfully we jumped into playing lincoln park because we worship lincoln park yeah like if i but if someone were to ask me to play deftone songs in a cover band it would it would not feel fun and i I love Abe. I love Deftones, but. Well, yeah, I mean, it just kind of goes back to like, I put certain bands at this echelon where like Linkin Park is one of them. Metallica is probably one of them. There's a couple other bands that are like up there that like most of their song, like Trivium uh, for me, actually Breaking Benjamin. I really love Breaking Benjamin and like Kill Switch Engage. Those are a lot of bands that like, if I knew how to play a lot of their stuff, I would totally like play their stuff constantly. But uh, yeah, there's bands, there's other bands that we could go down a long laundry list of that. Like you, there's, there's some great songs that you love. And then there's a ton of songs that you're just like, ah, I don't, I don't care. But it's, it's funny how this band in particular, just like, like I said, like it just, it comes back to me no matter when it comes on, whenever I hear it, it's just, I'm singing it again. Like immediately it's, that's, that good but um anyways is there any uh anything you haven't covered yet that you want to talk about man before we wrap this sucker up what do you think um i think that's pretty like you know you know it's linkin park definitely at this point is really like a group to i'd be shocked if there are those that aren't aware but of course it's a super inviting fan base and i think that's why, you know, I found your podcast kind of voiceless on is that, you know, there are super immersive fan bases out there. To some people, they may feel like an immersive deep lore fan base mm-hmm. is like something that is not inviting. And with Linkin Park, that truly could not be further from the case. There's not this mm-hmm. like elitism because someone went to shows in 2004 and then someone discovering Linkin Park now won't get to have that experience of seeing figure nine in a concert or something like yeah. it just is, is it's a super, super inviting fan base, you know, to the yeah, point not where really any, uh, any kind of that toxicity you see in so many fan bases, not just music, but just in general fandoms can, they have their bad actors sometimes, but Lincoln Park doesn't really have that. You have some people who say like, ah, some of these songs aren't for me, but then I don't think anybody's like mad at them for it or anything like there, that. It's just like oh, there's there's the there's a divide. There is a divide in the message. A new divide for sure. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> no, but you know, I people land on the same thing, and you know, I I for sure saw that after after Jesse passed away for sure the fan base you know the fan base is already like a super lean on a bull thing 
And then after it, it just was magnified that the fan base and the community just is there for each other, lets other people in. And that's why like, it's this thing where, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like, sense of Park, belonging and like they, people Lincoln who Park, understand yeah. you that can, sorry, go ahead. They would draw 20,000 people to a show or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's a testament to that. And it's a testament to why the fan base is, you know, depending on, you know, the streaming service or the social media th- of your choice, if you look them up, the number is at least 500 million or something like it's that insane. (laughs) You're not kidding, man. Well, I think about it. I think about it even kind of piggybacking off what you're saying. It's like, there's, there was nobody ever before like Lincoln park. And there really hasn't been anybody since they came around. That's been like in the Lincoln park category of like greatness, like in terms of where, what niche they filled in the musical spectrum, like, I don't think of many bands that are like, maybe not yet, at least. I don't know. Do you differ on that or? Um, as far as prior or before? Well, I'm just saying like, there was no one like him before and there hasn't been anyone yeah. like him since kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I think that there's bands that, you know, for sure have, well, not just bands. I think the entire world changed based on the Lincoln Park success model. Mm-hmm. I think as far as before them, there were for sure pieces of the Lincoln Park success model mm. in what they liked. But I think it had to be, I don't want to be punny, it had to be the hybrid for it to be something that people have molded since 2000 kind of like well for their inception was certainly felt like lightning in a bottle that lasted over like three albums that just drew in all those people and then since then once music is out there people can always go back and rediscover things i knew people up to like recently who haven't even discovered bands like in flames and stuff like that yet and it's amazing because then they get to go back and discover this just treasure trove of amazing music that's out there and you know hopefully this and other discussions like it will help like kind of inform people at least to bands that we would highly recommend and i love hearing you know if, if there's another lincoln park out there and i just don't know about it and somebody like has heard this band that's just incredible tell us about it you know i'd love to love to hear it but um i like to play a little game and it's it's a rankings sort of game but with this it's going to be very very difficult so what i'll say is like loosely what is albums. your well not even albums because i think albums the first two will probably always get picked in most circles, I think. But what are like your top three to five songs and maybe one that people don't know about so much that they need to check out? All right. Um, well, I could, I'll rattle off three that are just go-tos and then three that are deep. Um, really, when it comes to early stuff, you can't go wrong with a place for my head. You really cannot go wrong with that fucking yeah. song. Um, you know, I think nobody's listening is a really, 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 I think to, you have to like get it to get it. Mm-hmm. And I, and it took me years to get it. Um, I also think iridescent is a really strong, uh, and powerful song and then you know uh deeper songs you know things like a line in the sand just has so many twists and turns um that's off the hunting party um a song like nope nobody can save me is really fun as is uh good goodbye with push a t and i think to wrap it um, let's see. I already mentioned a, a thousand sun song. Um, back to until it breaks. You know, it's a song that a lot of people don't like, but that song has Mike on vocals, Chester on vocals, and Brad on vocals. I think wow, it's a really kind of just uh, art, just powerful and interesting and out there song for them. And actually, a little bonus, 
the forgot. Oh, yeah, everyone cites reanimation. I will say uh, the Castle of Glass remix on Recharged. Like Recharged was them basically doing reanimation for living things. Yeah. And the Castle of Glass remix is just, it's way trancier. Um, I think it just has a lot more energy than the song. And the song Castle of Glass is excellent as well. It is a good song. Certainly really good lyrics. I mean, most of, pretty much every one of their songs has good lyrics, good musicianship and all that. That's, it's it's kind of like a, a staple of theirs, which is why they're in this category or echelon of bands. A couple of songs for me that like, and they're going to be a lot more mainstreamy probably, but like, so off the first album specifically, I mean, I love Paper Cut, but I'm just not going to mention it in this category only because I think Crawling and um, you said A Place Where My Head is really, really good. Um, oh gosh, what was I going to say? It's like the last song on that album. I'm going to have to look it up right now. On Hybrid Theory? Yeah. Pushing Me Away? Pushing Me Away is so good. Um that one's amazing. Meteora, uh, you said it earlier, From the Inside. I absolutely love From the Inside. I love Numb. I love Somewhere I Belong, again, is like one of my top three songs of like all time. I think uh, Don't Stay is surprisingly good. Like it's the first song after their like pre-intro on that album. And the fact that it's in drop B, it makes it just so crazy heavy. There was one specific tour. I think, I don't think it was... Well, it might have been the one in Texas that they did. But um, anyways, they come out and they, they that was their opener song is Don't Stay. And it's it hits so hard at the beginning. Like the between the, uh, you know, Brad's uh, guitar riff and then the um, Mr. Han on the on the turntables just it hits so effing hard in your face. But like Faint and um, Oh gosh, what is the one song? It's like the third song on the album, third or fourth. Lying after, from you. Lying from you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Some of Chester's hardest vocals. Um, Minutes to Midnight. I love Giving Up. Uh, where I or what I've done, both because it was in the Transformers movie, but also because it's just such an effing good song and is like really the most indicative of what their prior music was like on Minutes to Midnight. I think. Um, and then. Uh, I really like Valentine's Day and No More Sorrow. Those are good ones, as well as In Pieces. I think all those songs are super, super good. And there's some like slower, like rappy songs that um, Mike does on that album that I think are also highly uh, underappreciated. I forget the one where he's talking about like, it's, it's literally just him rapping, but it's like kind of spoken word style rap. And it's really Hand, good. Hands held high. Yeah. Hands held high. Yep. Yeah. Um, some of the other deep cuts, because those are really my top three albums that i obviously go back to but like the intro on reanimation is one of the best like cinematic style intros into any album i've like ever heard it's so good oh yeah and that whole like really i used to listen to i think it was like one of the back half of that album like the last couple tracks are just straight fire after fire um but then like okay so a new divide great song uh lost in the echo those two are amazing I really like the song war war is like this like kind of callback to like really like what i think of like early 90s punk and just it's a very aggressive in your face kind of anti-war type song and i, I just i really like it but um yeah i mean i think uh i think if anybody hasn't ever listened to lincoln park or hasn't listened to them in a long time i think it's a good idea to maybe either check them out or give them another pass and just kind of like go on YouTube, put them on, listen to like the playlist or something with maybe a mix of all their different songs and music videos. And it's, there's some, it's just so good. It's it, my words cannot put into, cannot do justice to how good Linkin Park is as a band and was as a band. And like, it's so unfortunate that we tend to lose talented, talented people like Chester way too early. Um, but with that, Thank you so much, Trip, for joining oh, course, us man. today, man. This was a, a great episode. I'm I'm hoping it's a sign of things to come because there's just so much great music to talk about. And I mean, some of the bands we were mentioning earlier, like Corn and Slipknot and some of those bands, like I could go on like four hour rants about some of these bands and how much I love them or had like, there's, it's like, it always kind of like certain bands that hit me at a 
point in my life, I just, I just love and are like part of me now. I'm sure that's the way it is for a lot of people, but. Oh yeah. It like Linkin Park, just, you know, for anyone watching, especially creative people, like, I think this is, hopefully this is the clickbaity uh, <laughs> thing to say is that there's just so many notes to take. Like, you know, even if you are an extreme metal person, even if you're mm-hmm. an extreme into any genre that wouldn't look two ways at the band with the diamond selling album and the big radio singles, I think truthfully there's enough to kind of take from the template of Lincoln Park where you can be someone who creates anything and take inspiration. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, you know, sum them up and a great place for us. So um, again, I'm going to put it in the in the description, but Troy or Trip, not Troy, Trip is uh, <laughs> the drummer of a great band called Earthworm Von Doom. And they are doom metal in case you can't glean that from their their banding. But they're they've been around for quite a while and they're super talented and great guys. So I hope you go and give their stuff a listen. Are there any plugs you want to put in here, Trip, at the end? Um, Honestly, just the earthworm socials i guess is really uh the only plug uh you know we're chipping away at the new one nice yeah man uh and yeah it's been a great time so everybody please check us out on facebook twitter we're on you know wherever podcasts are available we are there um just please like and subscribe on youtube that is super important and helps us out a lot so thank you so much everybody for that and always remember please be excellent to each other